Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today. Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10 first-time wager on a straight better parlay. Offer subject to change, terms and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in the state where playthrough WinBet is available. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700. Hello, 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 and welcome to Fitz on Fantasy. I'm Pat Fitzmorris. Find me on Twitter at Fitz underscore FF. You can check out my weekly fantasy rankings at thefootballgirl.com. They are always available bright and early on Tuesday morning, usually before the birds are awake. Well, here we are six weeks into the NFL season already. I don't know about you, but for me, week six was sort of the come to Jesus week for fantasy football. I feel like I now have a really good idea of where I stand with all my teams. I do not have any undefeated teams, but I got my fifth win in a couple of leagues this week, and I feel like those teams are all pretty legit, and this was the week when it felt like those teams were sort of certified as such. Uh, But I also have some trash teams too, a couple of teams that are either two and four or one and five, and this was sort of the week where I just gave up hope on those teams. It was like, yep. It's not just bad luck. This team has issues, and I am not making the playoffs. So this was definitely the clarifying week for me. Maybe it was that way for you, too. And hopefully you do not have any teams in that latter category. Uh, Anyway, I am recording this episode bright and early on Monday morning. So please be aware that this was recorded before the Monday Night Packers-Lions game. And it might help explain some of the time references you'll hear on the show my guest today is Adam Murfitz of the Five Yard Rush podcast. Uh, Adam is based in England. He briefly lived in the United States during his youth, but now he works in downtown London and lives in the London suburbs. He is a great guy. He's very sharp when it comes to football, and I thought it would be fun to inject some international flavor into this podcast. Uh, it just so happens that Adam Murphitt is a big Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan and was at the game in London on Sunday. So we will talk to him about that, about fantasy football in the UK, about other fantasy topics, about his being a new dad. I think it's going to be a fun conversation. Uh, and before I bring in Adam, just two quick notes, both of them completely self-serving. First of all, if you enjoy the show, I'd really appreciate it if you could take a quick moment to rate it and leave a review. Listenership has been up lately, which I really appreciate. And if you're a new listener, it would be great if you could show your support by doing the quick rate and review thing. It doesn't take very long, and it really helps the show. And second, uh, in case you missed last week's announcement, I have launched a new Patreon program. There is a $5 a month service where you get a weekly email from me with waiver advice, uh, which players are perhaps most worth targeting every week. And you also get an additional short weekly podcast from me, either a waiver podcast or a Q&A session where I take questions from subscribers. And then there is the $12 a month fantasy consigliere service where you get all of that. Plus, I make myself available to you throughout the week to answer any of your fantasy football questions. Uh, response has been really good so far. So thank you among, if you are among the Patreon subscribers. And I apologize to you if you have asked me a question on Twitter and I haven't answered, but I've been answering every question I've gotten on Twitter for years now. And it just got to the point where the volume became overwhelming and I just couldn't do it anymore. Hence the birth of the Patreon service. So I'm sorry if I did not answer your question this past week. Please don't take it personally. All right, let's get to this week's guest. Let's bring in Adam Murphitt of Five Yard Rush. Well, the NFL London series continued in week six with the Carolina Panthers defeating the Tampa Bay Buccaneers at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. 
And now the Fits on Fantasy London series begins this week with our guest. It's Adam Murphy, co-host of the Five Yard Rush podcast, reigning monarch of Rush Nation. Find him on Twitter at Five Yard Rush. Murph, my friend, welcome to the show. I know you attended Panthers Bucks on Sunday, and I was kind of surprised because I figured that security at Tottenham Stadium would keep a list of Arsenal fans not to be admitted, and that surely you would be on the persona non grata list. <laughs> so, my Pat is a, is a real honor to be on here. Um, so, in reference to that point, they didn't just uh, let me in, they gave me uh, like red carpet access. Uh, they let me in under the stadium. I got to go beside the pitch. I was in the press box uh, and actually uh, watched the game from the press box. So, it's probably the best stadium experience I've ever had. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. What, so what was the atmosphere like? Not just, you know, in the uh, the behind the velvet ropes where you were, but just in general around the game. Like what what is a game in London like for this London series? Is there a lot of, uh, you know, color and merriment outside the stadium before these things? Yeah, absolutely. So I'll be honest and say that this was single-handedly the best NFL London experience. Uh, I have personally uh, witnessed a lot of my friends and colleagues and people who've been to the games over the last two weekends. So this is the first NFL purpose-built stadium built outside of the US. So even though it's functionally a day-to-day soccer stadium, the stadium was built with the NFL in mind. So there's actually two pitches. The soccer pitch is actually retractable. It connects on uh, plates and then um, much lower down into the stadium is, is the pitch that you would have seen on TV on Sunday. So everything that was went into the designing of the stadium was built with the NFL in mind and it really came across and showed and the atmosphere was was absolutely incredible. Um, so typically London games have been hosted majority at our national football stadium, so that's soccer to those of you listening, uh, which is Wembley and Wembley it's a nice stadium. It's great. Uh, you've got the ability outside to do some tailgating. It's not quite the same as what you guys would have there. It's quite a, a poor alternative. Of, if I'm honest, it's just more of a corporate. If corporate ran uh, <laughs> tailgating, which is what happens, the NFL UK run the tailgating here. Um, it's pretty much just like corporate stands for some beer and uh, drinks and food and subway. And then they put a few entertainment things on. So you get a couple of ex-players who, who might do the tailgating. But at the Tottenham Stadium, there isn't the room to do that. So there was a space to do some drills. But most of the time, you're just seeing fans out there just talking to each other, being part of this amazing community. You're seeing all 32 jerseys being represented so it's not just in the stadium you'll see Bucks jerseys and Panthers jerseys you'll see Packers jerseys you'll see Bears jerseys you'll see Jags jerseys you'll see all the teams represented I I guarantee if you go to a game over here you will see all 32 jerseys um, through the game I mean you'll even see Dolphins jerseys they're very popular here Um, given the affinity in the 80s that they were always on television here Um, but you'll even see Redskins jerseys and and teams that you perhaps don't think have a huge following uh, they they do get a following here so uh, the the atmosphere in the stadium yesterday was incredible the noise was incredible it was definitely very noticeable it seems like there are a lot of Buccaneers fans there and you yourself are a Buccaneers fan how did that come to be that there are so many Bucs fans in in England yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you, Pat. I don't, I don't really know why there's loads of Buccaneers fans in in, in my my story is uh, very different in the fact that I lived in Orlando uh, from the years 2000 to 2005. So Tampa was the nearest NFL team. Uh, I had some friends in high school, and I went to high school there who supported the team, um, and I was able to go through through them, um, get into the game, and as a result, started going to games as as a result of that. And it was a, a good time to be a Buccaneers fan, but. I think uh, when it comes to team support over here, I have noticed over the last couple of years, um, fandom has shot up. That might be due to hard knocks. It seems to be hard knocks is quite a big driver for teams here. Um, Also, fantasy football has a massive influence. So people who have perhaps started playing fantasy football who don't know a lot about the game, they might have picked Mike Evans a couple of years ago in their teams. He might have been a league winner. And as a result, that might be a reason they've picked um, the Buccaneers. You might have people that have supported them for quite a long time. There's been a well-organized uh, UK Bucks group who uh, the majority of them have been fans for 
10, 15, 20, 25 years. Um, it might just be as simple as the pirates and people can resonate with that. It might be because most people actually travel to Orlando on holiday and therefore Tampa's the closest team. And if they get over to see a game, that might be the easiest game that they get to see. So there's a lot of different reasons why there's uh, Tampa Bay fans in the UK. I don't think there's any one particular reason that sort of drives it. I think it's a combination of a lot of things, but I also think that every team is represented over here and everybody has their own very unique story as to how they come to, to follow them. Oh, that's really cool. And I know that, you know, for instance, my producer, Colin Kelly, who lives in Ireland, is a Green Bay Packers fan. So that's a, uh, you know, point of mutual interest for us, which is kind of cool. But it's nice that there is a wide, uh, you know, that it's not just support for a single team over there and that, you know, there's a, a broad, broadly spread fan base, just like here. So maybe you've noticed this too, Murph, but it seems to me that the team – uh, that arrives in London earlier in the week usually seems to play better. And if that's true, you'd think that all of these teams would have figured it out by now. But didn't the Bucks arrive surprisingly late in the week? Yeah, they arrived at uh, 9 a.m. on Friday. So I actually went to Buccaneers practice at a little rugby club in Blackheath. Um where they trained and they had one practice session before the game and noticeably they looked tired. Um, you would have seen press conference uh, comments yesterday saying they felt they had great practice. Um, the, you know, I got to see about 30 minutes of practice and I would argue that without much frame of reference, I thought it was very slow and, and pedestrian and that could be, that's how practice is. But um, I noticed from the body language and behavior of players and the way that they were responding and reacting, there was uh, severe tiredness. Um, and, you know, imagine getting off a flight, you check into your hotel, then you've got to go practice. Like it's, and it's a nine hour flight. I've done that flight 20, 25 times in my life. It's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult ordeal, even if flying overnight. And you could be flying in the best conditions, but that's still something to shake out your legs. And, and even uh, Coach Arians, he looked very tired. Uh, he sat down for most of the practice that we observed. Um, he just looked very void of energy. And I definitely think there is something in what you say. I think you look at the Raiders last week or the week before, they came in on the Monday, had the full week of practice here. And they looked absolutely fresh as a daisy come come Sunday and come game day to cause that upset against the Bears. The the Panthers got here late Wednesday, I believe. They had an extra day, did an extra practice here. And I think they just adjusted to the conditions a slightly bit better in the early phases of the game. And, and I think that set the tone for, for the whole game. Yeah, that's just strange that teams would not adjust to that and give themselves, you know, more than just a little over 48 hours to adjust before they have to go out and play a football game. Um, Summer? Yeah, what I would say though on that is just with the Buccaneers, I think the only excuse that, and this might be something they need to think about with scheduling, I can almost understand the decision in this one isolated incident because they've just played two games on the road. So they've just gone to LA and then they've gone to New Orleans. So, you know, and they're, after this, they're, they have a bye week this week and then they have, uh, additional few games on the road. They're not playing at home back in Tampa until I think it's November 14th or something along those lines. So, you know, it's a long road stretch. And if you can give the players a couple of days at home um, through that stretch, you know, family is important. I think we can all recognize that. So that might be the reason in the thinking, but it definitely didn't help them on Sunday. Uh, that's for sure. And it, I think for me, it was quite visible. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense as far as the rationale for possibly leaving that late, the extra family time. Um, so obviously one of the reasons things didn't go well for the Buccaneers in that game is uh, the performance of Jameis Winston. Now, you mentioned after the bye, the Bucks are on the road. They get the Titans and the Seahawks away. Do you think Winston fantasy owners should just get rid of him this week, or is he still worth holding because the offense is so pass-heavy and his wide receivers are so good? Yeah, I, I think you've got to consider keeping Jameis. Um, I think when you're looking at what is available on the waiver wire, in particular at quarterback, okay, Jameis didn't have a good week this week, but he, he did come off arguably the three best games of his career. And then New Orleans was a bit of a damn squid, but it wasn't terrible. Um, I mean, he threw for 400 yards despite throwing five picks. And, you know, I think Jameis Winston is the perfect example of how sometimes not good players can be great fantasy assets. 
because he can put up monster fantasy games and still not be conceived as a good a good quarterback. Um, he's still the quarterback 10 on the season, even with the five picks yesterday. So it, for me, Tennessee, it's not the easiest game, but they've got their own struggles and pressures at the moment. I think with the weapons that he has, he can definitely uh, have an effective game. And then I think as well coming in, their schedule on the back end is incredibly um it's much simpler than it is coming out. So I think who've the first six games, they had the second or third hardest rated schedule. I think coming in the last six, seven games is actually rated as the the 22nd hardest. So, or the 10th easiest. So, you know, those good days for Jameis to have and to really take uh, an example of uh, or advantage of the conditions and the situations will, will come. So I would recommend staying cautious and, and just be patient with him because... The other piece as well is Arians' offense is incredibly complicated. You're going to see, you know, anybody that's played that offense has come out and said it does take six to eight games to really understand to get the best out of it. And yes, it was a bad day. And, and these Jameis Winston bad games are a theme throughout his entire career and they're still going to happen. But those good days of 300, 400 yards and four TDs and three TDs, they're going to far outweigh these bad days. So I would definitely say stay patient with him. And I still think he finishes as a top eight fantasy quarterback this year. So unless you've got uh, a, an amazing option out there, I would I would hold him this week um, and, and just continue. Just I still think he is slightly matchup dependent, but for your fantasy playoffs, I think he has as good a schedule as anybody. Yeah, and it's certainly helped that, you know, the emergence of Chris Godwin, who has just become an absolute star. And certainly Mike Evans is, is no... Know, worse than he was before, but he's just having to cede some of the the load to Godwin, who's just such a remarkable player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think for me, Mike Evans probably had the worst game of his career yesterday uh, in terms of you know, two drop catches, in terms of uh, the, the the route that he ran that caused the the first interception. You know, it's it's a bad it's a bad route on Mike. Um, if he stays in front of, of Keekley there, it doesn't get picked. Uh, you know, he just didn't complete the route and, and, and that can potentially lead to the interception. I still don't think it was a great throw, but had the route been completed, at least he could have batted it down. It could have been incomplete. Um, but the drop, I mean, he had a certain touchdown that he dropped. Um, so, and he still got 94 yards and he still got, or 96 yards, and then he still got a two-point conversion. So, it and nine, nine catches. So, if you're playing in PPR, you still got, 20 points out of him and it was arguably his worst game so um, those weapons are, are, are vital and, and yeah I think for any owner Chris Goblin has been an unbelievable asset this year I think we all kind of knew it was coming maybe not to this level um, but you know with the coverage they've had they played a tough division and you know Evans has had to deal with Lattimore and Bradbury he's had some tough matchups in the last few weeks and again those two guys I think down the stretch are potential ones to to go off and and have big big weeks going into the fantasy playoffs now Murph we're going to dig deeper into week six pretty soon but I have to ask how did you first get into American football was it when you were living in Florida that you started getting hooked your friends uh, were into it and got you into it yeah, that's yeah, that's exactly what happened. So um, I met some from friends, and one of them uh, invited me to be part of uh, a fantasy football league. I had no idea what I was doing, but they needed a number, so I was like, "Sure, I'll, I'll join." And uh, you know, I was pretty terrible first season. Uh, didn't know the game, didn't know who to pick. Um, I didn't even have the the ability to really look at the internet and make the most of that situation. So it was uh, it was tough, um, but I learned very quickly. And I'm a big sort of analytics and nerd guy, so I like numbers. It's always made sense to me. So uh, once I sort of got my head around it, I you know would go down to Barnes and Noble and I would look at the the, the magazines and and look at the stat lines and and look at papers and and get a better understanding and uh, you know won the championship that that second year and. <laughs> That, that annoyed a lot of people that this English guy who didn't know the game 12 months before uh, was winning a fantasy championship you know, a year later. So, um, But that's how I got into it. And it, it became a very common uh, topic to talk about and it helped with my integration into, into public school in, in Florida for, for sure. Oh, that's fantastic. And you were a quick study, obviously, with the uh, year two championship. 
So now you've got this podcast. Uh, you co-host the Five Yard Rush along with Chris Mitchell, also known as Stocks. Uh, how did that come about? And I know there are some other co-hosts too, but uh, you know, when did you decide to start that? And uh, you know, what was the genesis of of the podcast? Yeah, so so Stocks actually started this himself with his best friend. So um, about two years ago, they started the podcast together, uh, bonding over the NFL. Um, Stocks' sort of friend uh, didn't know as much about the NFL, but they started sort of, uh, you know, he was almost like a teach and uh, a sort of a, a master and a, and a rookie kind of piece. And they talked together and explained things. And it pretty much started from there. And then uh, Stocks and I met in a fantasy league. Uh, so we play in a home league and we have mutual friends. And he joined our home league when we expanded. Uh, it was an eight team. I'm embarrassed to say to a ten team, uh, and 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 Stokes came in and uh, was part of that expansion. So we met through there, and uh, it was really a, uh, not the summer just gone, but the summer before that we started to bond. I think it started with a trade and then a discussion, and then we just kept talking, and, and we just got on really, really well and then um his best friend started to uh, he opened up his own company so time was getting a little bit limited uh, on his side so i started uh, coming on as a as a guest host so at the start of last football season i i joined as a, a guest host uh, who would just come on occasionally um and i did the first couple of weeks and then they said well do you want to come on a bit more and i was like sure i love it um it's great and then uh the other guys kind of fell away and i just sort of <laughs> it just became stocks and i and we just bond and uh we absolutely love it it's, it's made a real proper friend for life out of this who's, who's like family and uh, that's really where I mean it's sort of two phases of five year rush. It's we're sort of like five year rush two point um, just learning from what we what happened the first time round, and now we're just really into a groove of, of doing something that we love and have great passion for, and, and get to meet amazing people and building that that fantasy community in the UK because. I think so many people play fantasy football in the UK, but they don't have enough of their friends to form really well formed leagues. So there's a real gap for people to sort of coordinate that effort and build a community together so people can conduit and, and, and meet through that. And I feel like we are the conduit for that. We can put people together through listener leagues and allow people to play. And I think that's really central to, to why we exist and, and what we do. Yeah, it's really, I mean, you invited me to play in a listener league, a best ball league that drafted, you know, shortly before the start of the season. And that was a lot of fun, that whole experience. Uh, I play in a, a dynasty league that's mostly with Irish guys that I was invited into two years ago. And, um, you know, it's just, it's like a small but passionate community. And, um, I mean, it seems like American football is always going to be a secondary sport over there and hence... You know, fantasy football in the UK is this, uh, it's a game that revolves around a secondary sport. Does it feel like an uphill struggle to win over new participants there? Is it the equivalent of me trying to convince other Americans that black pudding is delicious? Or, uh, you know, do do people just sort of come to it on their own? Um I think more and more people, so the NFL is actually the fastest growing sport in, in the UK and in fact in Europe. Um, the fact that there's so much television exposure now, so it, it wasn't always this way. So uh, you'll, you'll probably remember the World League that was uh, available and that had some players like Brad Johnson and Kurt Warner and, and several others. Now, with the London Monarchs here for so long and that never really took off. I mean, it was sort of watched, but it wasn't really a big, a big event. Um, and I guess because people never really took to being a subsidiary series, but once the international series took off in, in 2007, it sort of started to capture the imagination. And then by 2008, 2009, 2010, people were coming on the, on the bandwagon and being able to experience it. I think people in the UK are, are sports mad and they're open to a lot of sports. And we have a lot of exposure to a lot of sports. Uh, the Rugby World Cup's on. That's got the nation's interest. We had the Cricket World Cup, which England hosted and, and won our first ever Cricket World Cup. And the nation gets behind teams when teams are excelling and, and just they're seeing sport at its best and I think British fans are really turned on by the fact they're seeing supreme athletes performing at the absolute peak of the game and that's what drives that interest and allows it to grow to the point that we've now got you know primetime TV 
covering this. We've got highlight reels that are played. We've got Red Zone is on uh, one of our cable packages um, that gets a huge amount of subscribers that Scott Hansen is arguably more well-known than any other uh, NFL TV sports personality because everybody watches Scott Hansen, everybody watches Red Zone here if they're into the sport. And it will continue to grow. And if we continue to get more games, we've got four this year, there's, there's a market here to have eight games for sure a season. And uh, if that keeps going, there's there's no doubt that this will become effectively the second sport in, in the UK. I'm confident of that. Yeah, satellite television is such a driver. Like, you know, I'm able to see uh, so many Premier League games now if I want to. And um, I know that, you know, when I was young, I remember... Uh, an expatriate in, in London telling me that the only way to see American football over there was there was some sort of highlight show every week that was hosted by Mick Luckhurst, who I believe was a former kicker for the Atlanta Falcons. And like Mick hosted some hour long recap of American football games from the weekend, like every Monday or something like that. And that was basically the only way you could get American football on TV if you were an American living it over in England. Yeah, it's amazing how things have changed. So now we have some excellent uh, UK journalists. Uh, Neil Reynolds hosts the Sky coverage. Um, we have a, a great uh, TV personality by the name of Nat Coombs, and he's kind of been the champion of this for probably the best part of a decade, maybe longer. He hosted the um, highlight packages uh, and you know, once a week, and uh, he teamed up with uh, an American by the name of Mike Carlson. I don't know how well known he is in the US, but he's very popular here. Um, and you know, now we've got ex players who are part of the coverage. So, OC uh, Unamura is uh, one of the lead coverages, uh, two time Super Bowl winner with the New York Giants. Um, You've also got Jason Bell, former cornerback of the Giants and the Texans, and those two are, are hugely popular because they bring a great level of detail and insight. And now you're starting to see more ex-players. Uh, Coach Ryan, who sometimes did a bit of the coverage on Sky. Uh, so there's a lot of people now that are really jumping onto the UK market and bringing their, their expertise. Let's talk about some of the things that went down in week six, Murph. Um, Devonta Freeman had been a disappointment to a lot of his fantasy owners. But they need a pretty big day against the Cardinals on Sunday. 19 carries, 88 yards, three catches for 30 yards and two touchdowns. What are we to make of Freeman going forward? I think, uh, so I wrote a, um, an article on uh, just a couple of days ago about this. And I said, um, if DeFonta Freeman has a good week this week, you should sell him for all you can get. Um, I'm not convinced in... You know, I've had a lot of exposure to Dirk Cutter, and uh, I'm not convinced that he schemes uh, to to please running backs. You know, in the three years that he was Tampa Bay head coach, he in his lead running back was the running back 26, the running back 52, and the running back 47. Now you take into the point, and I fell for this point that Devonta Freeman is is much better than <laughs> Doug Martin and Jacques Rogers and and Peyton Barber, and 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 that point is valid, but. As you've seen through the first few weeks of the season, he is not out there to try and get Devonta Freeman big volume. And okay, he had uh, significant volume this week, he had 19 carries, but against a pretty poor Cardinals defense, I, I don't see Cutter going that way. He likes to sling the rock, he likes to put the ball in the air. And, you know, Devonta Freeman right now is the running back 21. But these are some of the names behind him who I think will pass him in the next couple of weeks. Um, once, especially the Falcons get to their bye. So, Kerryon Johnson's the running back 27, and he's had a bye week. Matt Breeder running back 25. Joe Mixon, the running back 30, is arguably the most underutilized running back in all of football right now. Carlos Hyde is starting to find his feet and win that job. Um, you know, Saquon Barkley. These are all running backs that are behind Devonta Freeman. I, I think at best, Devonta Freeman is the very back end of that RB2, if not RB3. So if you can get a good offer for him, I'd, I'd, I'd trade him because I can't see where he moves up from running back 21 right now. You mentioned Carlos Hyde. He had 26 carries for 114 yards and a touchdown against the Chiefs. Uh, it seems like people have been sort of hesitant to embrace Hyde. And in fact, I won a game in one of my home leagues this weekend because my opponent choose to start Tevin Coleman over Hyde. Uh, maybe part of the hesitance with him is the presence of Duke Johnson, but is there any reason for people to worry about Hyde's workload at this point? 
I, I, do you know what? Before the last couple of weeks, I would have said yes because what has Carlos Hyde done in fantasy football in the last three or four years? Every time he's had the opportunities to succeed, he's spectacularly failed uh, in opportunity in in places where he's not had massive competition for touches. So. And we all thought when Duke Johnson was traded for, well, this is it. This is going to be the breakout of, of Duke Johnson. And arguably, that's not what's happened. And Hyde is very much winning that job. Um, I think games, he is game script dependent. I think if the Texans are going to be playing in games where they're going to be playing from behind a lot, then obviously Hyde is, is not an option. But in the game that they need to control, like yesterday against the Chiefs, he is going to get that volume. I mean, 26 carries kind of speaks for himself. I don't think that's a week you're going to see every week from Carlos Hyde, but what's pretty definite is he is going to get a floor of 14, 15 touches a week, which is enough to keep him in the conversation for that. So low-end RB2, RB3, if he remains to be as efficient as he is with his touches. Now, that's the biggest question with, with Carlos Hyde. Can he keep up the pace? But I wouldn't be worrying about Duke Johnson. He's very much been relegated to the, the third down back, and he's very much going to be the guy who will come in when the, the Texans are chasing games. Now, the Jets' offense was a disaster while Sam Darnold was out with mononucleosis, but Darnold was back in week six and threw for 338 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Robbie Anderson had five catches for 125 yards and a touchdown against the Cowboys. Uh, Le'Veon Bell, only 53 yards from scrimmage, but did have a touchdown. Jamison Crowder, six catches, 98 yards. Is this an offense we can feel good about? Going forward, I mean, which which of these Jets are you willing to uh, embrace from a fantasy perspective? Oh, man, you, you, know, you asked a tough question. Um, I, I think the one thing you've got to look at is that we haven't seen enough of this Jets offense under Adam Gaze with Sam Donald on the center. This is just his second start of the season. Um, yes, it, it, it looked great yesterday. There's a lot of circumstances behind that. Um, you know, the the Cowboys have a lot of injuries right now. So, you know, Lyle Collins didn't play. Tyron Smith didn't play. They lost both their cornerbacks, which explained for some of the busted coverages um, that allowed receivers just to get open. And, 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 and you know, fair play to, to Darnold. He's shown at the back end of last season, he's got the ability to make teams pay when he has that. Uh, space and that time and the pressure certainly wasn't there uh, on him as much as it should have been so I, th- I I still have caution with when it comes to the Jets offense I think Sam Darnold is a player who you could potentially bring in as a bye week cover but I don't think he's someone I feel confident starting um, in many games this season, Robin Anderson, I've been waiting for him to break out. I still air uh, caution and hope that happens. I think for me, the only the only two players in this offense that I feel comfortable starting most weeks is Jameson Crowder because he seems to be Sam Darnold's favorite um, target underneath, and he's going to get the volume. So especially in a, in a PPR format, he's going to get a lot of catches, and Le'Veon Bell is, is going to get the volume. And he, I don't love Le'Veon Bell. Uh, he's not the Le'Veon Bell of the Steelers um, folklore. So don't think you're going to get these amazing 150, 200-yard games out of him. But again, in the PPR perspective, he's going to have volume, and that volume is going to be king. So they're the only two players right now. But I'd definitely be keeping an eye on Anderson. But he's not going to have the kind of game that he had on Sunday. And that's been the story of Robbie Anderson's career to date. Yeah, and obviously the long touchdown accounted for much of that production yesterday for Robbie. Um, And speaking of long touchdowns, Stefan Diggs, I mean, before yesterday, that guy had been held under 50 receiving yards in four of his first five games and had scored only once. But on Sunday, seven catches for 167 yards, three touchdowns, a couple of them pretty long ones. Now, granted, it was against the Eagles and their highly suspect cornerbacks, but do you think Diggs owners can feel good about him going forward, or did he just simply take advantage of a splendid matchup? I think it's somewhere in between, and that's a bit of a on-the-fence on the answer. Um, I think the, this game was sort of coming, and I think he did exploit the matchup as, as well as anyone could. Um, but I do think that there has been a change in this offense in the last couple of weeks, and you look at the amount that Kirk Cousins is throwing the ball now. And I think that's what's key. The, the biggest question wasn't talent and Dixon feeling. It was how much the ball's in the air. I mean, this is Kirk Cousins week one. He throws the ball 10 times. Um, we were told it's a run first offense. They're just going to run the ball. And I think that they, 
you know the the coaches the coaching staff there have decided that they need to think about doing something a bit different because you can stop the run um, as good as Dalvin Cook is, and he's been arguably top two, top three running back in fantasy football and and in in the NFL this season. He's still someone that can be stopped. Whereas if you bring in some play action and you bring the receivers into play, then that's you know you're always going to have that threat. And I think that's what you're starting to see. I think Diggs is going to be very hot and cold. I think he's going to have some some big games. He is matchup dependent for me. But I think at least now, you know, you've got an asset who can win you game weeks like like yesterday, for example. So he's definitely someone I wouldn't be trading away because you'll never get your value back on him. But he is someone that I would be having a start-sit conversation with almost every week uh, until you're seeing that regular production of you need Cousins to be throwing that ball 26 to 30 times a game at a minimum consistently and if he's doing that then Diggs is going to be relevant if he's not doing that and it goes back to the teens and the low 20s then I'd be worried again as a Diggs owner yeah the run pass balance I think is still an area of concern because I mean yesterday the the Vikings just ran an awful lot of plays on offense but uh, they still I believe had 30 carries for their running backs yesterday even Alexander Madison had 14 I think it was 14 carries uh in his reserve role Dalvin Cook had uh you know he was in the teens in carries so still a team that wants to run um a team that's maybe a little less concerned about the running game the Arizona Cardinals uh Kyler Murray has now had two pretty strong games in a row 340 passing yards and three TDs against the Falcons despite the absence of Christian Kirk uh, Kyler's September was not especially great, but he didn't really have any easy matchups in his first month. So after going 0-3-1 in September, the Cardinals are now 2-0 in October. Murray had that big rushing day against the Bengals last week, or uh, two weeks ago, with 93 yards and a touchdown. And then Sunday, he had the best passing game of his young career, 27 for 37, 340 yards, three touchdowns. Uh, of course, he was up against a bad Atlanta pass defense that didn't have Desmond Trufant, who's one of the few competent defensive backs they have. Where do you stand on Kyler Murray? I think Kyler Murray, I I wasn't as hot on him coming in as as others were. Um, I'm just not a big fan of of rookie quarterbacks for fantasy football. Very rarely do they ever deliver to the level that we would always expect. Uh, A lot of talk about Kyler Murray because of the, the system and the uh, that Cliff Kingsbury brings in this air raid and, and all these weapons he was going to have. But that offensive line is still pretty terrible. Um, and we, we're really cautious to see what happens when he gets hit. When you now have six games of production that we have with, with Kyler, we now see that we've got a player who is very capable. I mean, it sounds silly to say because he's a number one pick, but we've seen number one picks not be very capable. Uh, he's someone who has that, dual threat ability he can uh, vary he can bring some yards on the ground which I think is important in any new quarterback in the league and one that you need to have for your fantasy team he's the QB8 right now you know I always thought his ceiling would be the low end QB1 and I think that's roughly where he's going to end up I think he is someone that you can start most weeks and he is matchup proof because of what he can bring with his legs and I think he's in that that Josh Allen uh, sort of realm for me that they might not always put the best game together in the year, even though he's coming off two great games. But you'll you'll get some consistency on the ground that will sort of almost paper over the cracks. And he's you know he's, he's not making the mistakes that we would kind of expect from a, a rookie quarterback. He's not turning the ball over a ridiculous amount. Um, so I think Kyler Murray, if you drafted him, you'd be reasonably pleased with the return you've got so far. And I think towards as it gets better with every game, I think you'd be really pleased with where he is at the end of the season. Yeah, they haven't stretched the field maybe the way we were expecting with uh, Cliff Kingsbury's offense, but maybe one of the benefits of that is that, uh, you know, there have not been that many interceptions, which is kind of a a positive so far. Uh, Murph, you are a new dad, and I've seen a picture of your son, Milo. He is a handsome lad indeed. Congratulations, buddy. So how old is Milo now? So Milo is is 10 weeks tomorrow. Um, So it is really new. He was born in August. Um, It's uh, it's been a a real experience. So I 
you know, started a new job a couple of weeks after he was born. And uh, it's just that, that forever adjustment of having a little one depend on you for absolutely everything. And, but it's just been such a life changing experience and it's, it's just absolutely amazing to, to come home every day from work and, uh, and, and see the smile on his face and uh, to give him a cuddle and to just spend time with him and, and all the little things that he does. Cause it's, it just, it absolutely blows your mind. It's, it, you can have people tell you that for years, but it, it doesn't matter when you experience it yourself. And, and you know this very well, Pat, that it, it, it just really does change your life in, in that instant. And, and every day it's, it don't matter how bad your day is, no matter how bad, you know, your commute is. I travel three hours a day uh, on a train there and back to get to work. And, uh, you know, we have a lot of things going on and, and sometimes trains get cancelled and all of this. But regardless of all that, I can walk through the door, I see his face and all of that's forgotten. And it, it's a truly magical thing. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, you had mentioned it. So when you were an expectant father over the summer, we had been talking about that, maybe some of your uh, pre, pre-fatherhood anxieties. And you mentioned to me that you weren't particularly close to your own dad. So does that, does that kind of motivate you to want to try to be a be- you know, the best father to Milo that you can be? Yeah, I'd, I'll be honest. I think up until the day he was born, it was single-handedly the biggest fear of my life was having a child to potentially have the tendencies that my father had, which was to not be around much um, as, as, as I was growing up. And I didn't want that for, for my child. And, you know, I'm 34 years old, Pat, and there's a reason I waited that long to, to have a child. And it, it was, it was that fear, that anxiety of, am I actually going to be a good enough person to be a dad? And know it's an irrational fear. And every time I would, you know, talk to my wife about this. I would say that it's, it, I know it's a dumb fear. I know it's irrational that someone else's actions is, is causing me to have this fear. But sometimes, you know, that it's that nature versus nurture argument. How much is, is which? So I, I'm always very conscious of and will be for the rest of my life how much time and energy I, I give to my son because, you know, I had a day like yesterday. I was out all day. Uh, advantage of a lifetime to go and be in the press box to go and watch my team to meet uh, you know I spent a couple of hours after the game watching the six o'clock games with the around the NFL guys and to sit there and watch the games with them almost like in a live podcast but it's just a few of us in the media room those, those opportunities don't come by every day. And my wife understands that. And she's like, no, you, you need to go and do that. But normally I would go to all four of the, uh, all three or four of the games here. And I'm not in making that sacrifice to, to be with my son. I'm an Arsenal season ticket holder. I've given that to a friend this year because I want to see my son develop. I want to see him. I don't want to be that dad who misses out on those those things uh, miss out on you know his first words and i'm gonna miss out on some stuff i have to go to work for <laughs> 40 plus hours a week but that's a that's a different thing that's to survive and to make his life better you know the, the hobbies and things like that at least for his first year i'll never get that time back so i'm very conscious of and, and making a lot of sacrifices so that I can be there for my son and interact with him and know that he has got two wonderful parents who love him and will do absolutely anything for him and to give him the best start in life. Now that's, that's really cool. And it's uh, cool that you have that motivation. So, um, you know, was, was part of it, your dad's career, you should probably mention what your dad did because he had a rather interesting career. Could you talk about that? Yeah, so my dad, um, he did. He was very much part of the music scene in the '60s to the '80s. So he actually started off doing security for um, so much as the the Beatles, the Bassy Rollers. He was a road manager for the Jeff Beck Group. He um, would then be sort of the the fix it guy for pretty much the music scene. Um, so to give you an example, my dad wrote a book uh, before he passed away in, in 2005. And uh, in that, the very first chapter is talking about when he gets a phone call in the middle of the night to come deal with John Bonham, uh, you know, lead singer of Led Zeppelin, um, is, is being found dead in Windsor. And it's his job to sort of clean up the area so it doesn't look like the, the drug overdose that it was. And that's what my dad did. He was... He was the guy that you, the, the title of the book is, is Leave It to Me. And it was basically that was his job was to 
the unforeseeable circumstances. You know, he was the one that arranged for David Cassidy, for example. Uh, he'd be the one that would arrange uh, which ladies would get to spend time with David Cassidy and which ones wouldn't. He would take care of, uh, you know, putting on decoys so people couldn't find them. Uh, he attended and did the security for Paul McCartney and Linda's wedding at Marlebone Registry Office. There were eight people there and he was one of the eight and he was the one that got them through the crowds of people and got them in and out through the back door. Um, so he had a very interesting life. Um, in terms of... It, all of that was before I was born. So his last his last real job in the music business was he managed uh, Adam and Ant. So and Adam Ant specifically, Adam knew him very well. He'd asked him to represent him before he then went and signed with CBS. And so Adam talks very fondly of of my dad, and they had a very close relationship. Um, he's even talks about him in, in his autobiography. So um, it's very interesting to see a lot of these stories. Um, a lot of that probably didn't impact me. A lot of it was before I was born. He just family circumstances he had another family that he concentrated on and put his effort into and uh less of that was on myself and and my mum but my mum did an incredible job um and I was you know not really left wanting for anything in my life so I'm very blessed and very lucky to have had her as as, as my guide and my influence oh that's really cool um did he did his uh musical tastes influence you at all to enjoy that sort of music are you i mean and some of the photos you've shown me are just incredible with him and the you know paul mccartney david cassidy the sex pistols um do you do you like a lot of those bands or have you gone in a different direction musically no i i that is definitely my way of music i don't know how much of that was he shaped me or i guess it, it would have done subconsciously and i guess i wanted to listen to the, those bands but they're the ones i sort of have a real connection to I'm, I'm a bit of an old soul in that way um you know the who are my personal favorite band um i just love that whole mini rebellion rebellious mod movement i just it just really appeals to me as a person um but I, I guess it's, and it's that, uh, that the sort of underground R&B that influences that as well. But yeah, very much a fan of of, of Led Zeppelin, of, of 70s and 80s music. And in fact, that's more my sort of records of choice uh, for, for music tastes. Big Pink Floyd fan. Absolutely love listening to the Dark Side of the Moon album whenever I get a chance. And uh, yeah, I'd, I'd say they mostly drive my musical taste. But I'm also quite eclectic. I do like some modern sort of electronic music and uh you know brick pop in the 90s was an amazing era to be part of with the oasis and the blur so um we're very blessed here in the uk to have a fantastic music scene with with great innovative music always happening so i'm glad that even though it's maybe not entirely to my tastes it's nice to hear different music scenes and different music uh, being produced and some of it i do embrace and some of it maybe not so much or if that last part was a very diplomatic way to say american music is shit but you're very accurate with that <laughs> no i don't know you, you guys have a great music scene uh, you know i love the Foo fighters and, and pearl jam um you know their bands i massively resonate with it's more recently you know it, you, you got great hitters in, in the past 20 30 years but what do, we, what do we have now? What's coming? What 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 am I missing in the last ten years that the American music has not produced for me? No, there's there's not much, but that's it. I mean, like in in England, it's cold and gray and rainy, so you know people take up instruments and go sit in a studio. And in America, I guess people are outside and playing sports. I don't know. Yeah, that's it. Um, <laughs> all right, we're turning back to football quickly the uh rams passing game in week six was kind of an abomination with jared goff throwing for just 78 yards against the suddenly ferocious 49ers defense do you see this as like some fundamental problem with the rams passing game and that they're going to get well against the falcons in week seven or um basically is it more of a problem with the rams or is it just that the 49ers defense is this good so I think in week seven, if if you were a doctor and you were prescribing medicine to the Rams, giving them the Falcons' defense is probably about the best medicine that you can serve them. Um, because absolutely, we've just seen Kyler Murray produce the, the game of his career against them. I think it, they're a very easy team to pass on, to, to run against. They're, they're pretty soft defense, and, and it would surprise me if Dan Quinn is still in that job come uh, end of December because I think he, he is destined to lose that job. How much of that's on him? How much is that on uh, 
you know, the GM, it's not for me to say, but I think at the end of the day, that that defence is, is pretty terrible. And it's a shame because Matt Ryan is putting together one heck of a season. Uh, uh, it's getting lost in them being uh, one and five. Um, so I think I think they can have a potentially a good week. Uh, the big cultural change in in the Rams is we've seen that everything went through Gurley. And that's a big thing that you know he's not the the top Gurley of old. Uh, but he's still an effective running back. They definitely missed him on Sunday. I do think regardless of whether he has 10 touches, 15 touches, he's not going to have the volume he used to have. But I still think he offers a lot more than what Malcolm Brown and, and Darrell Henderson is, is going to be doing. But also potentially that, that offensive line is is pretty poor. We saw it against the Buccaneers. The Buccaneers' defense had an unbelievable day. I know they gave up 40 points, but, you know, we're talking stacks and interceptions and turnovers, something that you don't really see out of a Buccaneers' defense. Uh, and they had one heck of a day. And then, uh, you know, the Seahawks had plenty of joy against them. And then you've just seen the, the 49ers absolutely um, obliterate the, that offensive line and that passing game. So I think it's a combination of, yes, they can have a good week next week, but I, I don't think all is well. And I think if you if you Cooper Cup, I think you're fine. Uh, I think Cooper Cup uh, is a player who's, who's not going to be too affected. Maybe some volume. It's never going to be as bad as it was this week. But if I'm a Robert Woods owner, um, definitely a Brandon Cooks owner, I'm, I'm very concerned about what I might have out of those guys and, and might be thinking about what I can do on the waiver wire uh, to, to pick up some some extra firepower because I, I, you can't rely on them every week now. And I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. You mentioned the decline of the offensive line. I think that's pretty visible when you watch Rams games these days that it's not what it was last year. Um, Murph, one player who seems to be causing his fantasy owners a lot of stress this year is Patriots running back, Sony Michelle. Um, good yardage game for him in week six with I think 113 combined yards against the giants, but he failed to score a touchdown and to add Insult to injury for the Sony Michelle owners. Tom Brady had a pair of short TV runs. So, where do you stand on Sony? Are you generally optimistic or pessimistic? I, I sit in the middle. I think again, it seems like I'm only feeling this in the middle. I don't. I'm I'm concerned, but I'm not alarmingly concerned. Um, the issues I have, first of all, this. I'm not talking about Brandon Bolden being a thing. It's not going to be a thing. This is Bill Belichick. This is what he does every season. He brings out players for a couple of games. And, you know, I, th- I think Tony Ship, Michelle, what they realize is he's not a guy who can carry a workload for 16 games. I think they learned that last season. Let's be honest, the Patriots are really going to be the, the number one seeds, at worst the number two seeds in the AFC because everybody seems to keep beating each other and, and, and they just managed to survive on top. So... I think they're managing Michelle's workload to a certain degree by bringing in guys like Brandon Bolden and they're not getting in all the receiving work because they want to preserve him for the playoffs. I think that's something that you'll see more and more, which could be a concern, especially getting to those fantasy playoffs. If you're a Michelle owner, uh, he's not been absolutely brilliant either. You know, he didn't, he didn't have a run of five yards or over until four minutes left in the first half. So, you know, a lot of two yard, three yard, no game runs. And all of his yardage really came in the fourth quarter. He had a 26 yard run and a 13 yard run. And, you know, he goes from having an 80 yard day to a hundred and uh, 116 yard day, or 113 yard day. So all of a sudden it's, he, he took advantage of a very tired defense and it kind of flattered the stats. And that's the one advice I give to anybody who's playing fantasy football. Don't just look at the box score and go, oh, Sonny Michelle, he had 113 yards. But where did those yards come from? When did he get them in games? Because that's when that's going to be the difference between going from good to great. Because if you're sitting there thinking, oh, Sonny Michelle has 113 yards, it's a great game. It, it was okay. It wasn't great. And I'm not worried about the vulturing of, of Tom Brady, I think. I think it, that that's just something that Bill doesn't care about your fantasy team. I think Michelle's going to be fine. I think he's an RB2. I think if you're expecting more out of him, it's not going to happen. Um, I do worry about what might happen towards the end of the season, especially if they wrap up uh, a first-round buy in the number one seed by week 13, week 14, which unfortunately is looking rather likely now. Murph, we're now six weeks into the NFL season, almost halfway through the fantasy season. Um 
two-part question. Uh, how have things gone for your various fantasy teams so far? And uh, what do you feel best about as far as things that you feel you got right over the summer and uh, you know, players you bought into uh, quite a bit and have succeeded? Yeah, um, things has been okay. Um, so I share quite a few teams with stocks, including our Scottfish Bowl team, um, which we're in a bit of a tight matchup this week. Uh, we lost Gurley and had a few injuries. Will Disley went down. That didn't help. Demarcus Robertson not getting anything didn't help. Um, we lost Shepard this week. Uh, you know, we don't have a backup QB. Um, but we are, as of coming into this week, 39th in total scoring. Um, so... You know, the team, even though we have a three and two record, our points are, are, are really strong. So, you know, that that's one team that's doing reasonably well. Uh, we've got a few teams that are four and one and five and oh um, that are doing reasonably well. I think, in terms of, so overall across the season, I'm 61% in terms of win loss. So, oh, I think. Yeah, I'm reasonably happy with the amount of teams that either I co-own with stocks or I have on my own. Um, I'm reasonably happy with that. Um, there's some pretty poor teams in there. I think what, you know, I think the real key cornerstone, I look at all these teams that are doing well, and it was where we took strong running backs and we went running back, running back for the most part. Because once you're dropping out of that RB2 conversation, there isn't, that much depth underneath. Um, we've had to deal with some injuries, um, but if you've got Christian McCaffrey or um, Alvin Kamara, who hasn't been amazing, but he's still been okay, um, and Zeke Elliott, those guys have really come through uh, reasonably well. Um, if you've avoided the Mixons and <laughs> some of those players who perhaps haven't delivered for you, whereas you know what, what seems to be the trend for me is those that took a claim early and then a wide receiver early with Hopkins and Jones and Adams, um, or they went with Kelsey, are really disappointed with that because not only have they got a top-end value pick in, in a wide receiver who hasn't delivered to date, but then also they haven't got the running back depth underneath to help get them through. So that seems to be the common trend. So happy with the way that we drafted a lot of our teams some of them are losing due to injuries. That happens. Um, I feel that there's been a, a huge number of injuries that have been catastrophic. Sometimes we've dealt with the wire very well, but I think the players, I feel, I, I think more in players, given the amount of teams, it's the strategy. So going heavy on RB early uh, in quarterback leagues, um, taking Lamar Jackson as the as our second quarterback, wherever that might be, whether it was the fifth round, the sixth round, seventh round, depending on how those draws went. That was always the guy that we targeted and we're reasonably pleased with that because we wanted a solid QB early who is going to be through the air and have a safe floor. And we wanted that running quarterback as a duo. And that seems to work quite well for us in our two QB leagues. Um, and ignoring tight end, we pretty much just ignored tight end. Uh, altogether, we just didn't see the value of drafting um, a high place tight end. I had no interest in Ertz, thought he was due to a regression season. Uh, Kittle, I was worried about how much he got in the end zone. I uh, thought Kelsey could live up to where he gets to, but compared to what you can get in the in the second, third round, I didn't think he was worth the investment. I was always happy to take a guy very late, Will Disley, up until you know today was working quite well and i've got fish uh team where we drafted him in the 18th round but we you know we drafted you know we picked him up down waller before the season started and things like that and you know he's pretty much a, a set and forget tight end you can feel comfortable having him so yeah foraging for tight ends seemed to uh work out well for a lot of people this year as opposed to investing early round draft capital uh on the flip side murph what what about some things that haven't gone so well like investments you kind of regret guys you were high on I don't even regret taking a player so late like Albert Wilson, but I'm really high on him, and he obviously with injuries and that hasn't delivered. So that's one that's really come back to, to bite me quite a bit. Um, but I would say really on the whole, the, the player, Devonta Freeman, has probably been my biggest disappointment. I I knew that Dirk Castle wasn't really keen on running backs, but I just believe with the talent there, I, I saw an opportunity cost and felt he was very much worth uh, the investment there and felt he was worth getting. So uh, that's come back to bite me. Um, in a couple of places, I took Antonio Brown. I mean, let's not go there, but obviously <laughs> that was a bit of a mistake. Um, I think really it was how much emphasis there was to place on, on wide receiver. Um, 
I think in, in the teams that maybe didn't do well, we waited a little bit too long for wide receiver, but the, the principle was solid. So from the teams that are doing well so far, look, we're 40% into the season. So uh, ask me back on it at the end of the season, I'll tell you how it goes. But in terms of the teams that structurally have done well have, have been RB heavy early with really good talent of wide receivers in the middle. Uh, someone like a Cooper Cup, for example, being our wide receiver one, that's working out quite well for us. And that's been the model of success. And ignoring tight ends, so just going RB and wide receiver pretty much first eight, nine rounds, but really hammering RB early just to have that depth. So if a guy goes down, we're not relying on the waiver wire to pick the next guy up. We have someone that we can play. Having players like Royce Freeman in the eighth and ninth round have been a real goldmine. But going back to things that have not worked, it'd be where we perhaps invested in wide receiver a little bit too early and we'd be behind the eight ball on running back. Yeah, I know uh, in one of the leagues where I went sort of zero running back with DeAndre Hopkins, Juju Smith-Schuster, and Keenan Allen right out of the box. Uh, that team is two and four, and I'm kind of amazed that I've got two wins out of that so far. It's uh, been kind of a disaster. But uh, <laughs> this has been great, Murph. Um, you know, sometimes you are lucky to meet some really wonderful people through fantasy football, just like, you know, you and, and stocks, as you mentioned, you've made a friend for life there. And I'm really glad that you and I have gotten to connect through fantasy football Twitter. You're just a super nice guy. And I'm grateful I've had the chance to meet you because of the silly little game we play. Um, Adam Murphy, before I let you go, sir, could you please give people your Twitter handle once more and remind them where they can find you and listen to you? Yeah, absolutely. I, I just got to say, Pat, it's a real honor being on. You look at the role of honor of guests that, that you've had on, and then you've got some uh, some 34-year-old ginger bloke from England on <laughs> to talk about oh, football. Um, so it's a real privilege to, to be on with the company you have, and it's been a blast meeting you through Twitter and just all the fantasy football uh, community. So even if you're someone who... It plays the game, but perhaps do you see all this fun going on Twitter? Just absolutely get involved. Uh, you know, 15 months ago, I wasn't that active on Twitter and fantasy football. I'd ask a few questions here and there, and I've got to speak to some great people and make some great friends like yourself. So if you ever hesitant, just don't. Just go for it. You can meet some wonderful people. And, and it's one of the nicer places on Twitter is fantasy football Twitter. Uh, yes, there's a few idiots, but uh, there is everywhere. But for the most part, it's a nice place to get away from the real world and everyone is really friendly and and super brilliant with their time uh, as for as for us you can hear me in stocks on uh, five yard rush uh, it's a podcast that goes out two three times weekly pat you're going to be coming on in a few weeks so uh, if you like pat you should uh, he's been on already you should go back and listen to the previous episode because uh, it was a lot of fun uh, but listen out for him but we have some great guests uh, from the world of, of fantasy football but we cover off Waiver wise, we cover off. We have our, our website, 5yearrush.co.uk. I also have the privilege of starting a, a different venture uh, for NFL with the Touchdown, which is a British hub for all NFL content. So that's NFL, college football, draft, and more of the X's and those pieces, I think, is to come. And then some of the fantasy stuff that I do on there as well. So, uh, amazing resource uh, to, to get in, to get everything all in one place. Um, you can catch us on Twitter at 5yearrush. Please do send any questions. Uh, interact with us I get back to people as much as I can say the stocks and the rest of the guys um, and yeah I also have a personal handle which is at Maverick Murph I don't really use that all that much anymore I pretty much stick to, to uh, the at 5 yard rush handle so just get in touch there and you can ask me directly and uh, I'll pick it up uh, but the other guys are on there as well we do start sits and you know we're just here to help uh, build a community so if you have an interest in fantasy football perhaps don't have an active league or one that is full of chat you know we build that so uh, let us know that you want to play in an active league and we'll be, and we, we did 13 listener leagues this year um, and we'll probably do more than that next year so just let us know we'll get you in an active league and we'll have a lot of fun oh wow that's really cool you guys are facilitating those leagues really good way to expand the community over there um, thanks for coming on my friend really looking forward to being a five yard rush guest in a few weeks and uh, I guess I'll talk to you then Murph cheers buddy yeah, thanks a lot thanks for having me on and, and keep it up Pat because this podcast is amazing alright I appreciate that thanks Murph cheers okay folks that's the show thank you once again to my guest Adam Murfitz of 5 Yard Rush find him on Twitter at 5 Yard Rush that's 5 the numeral 
and go check out the Five Yard Rush podcast with Murph and Stocks. It's a really fun show. Let me also thank my producer, Mr. Calm Kelly, the finest producer of fantasy football podcasts in all of Ireland. In addition to babysitting me, Calm also co-hosts the Rotoviz Overtime podcast along with Mr. Zero RB himself, Sean Siegel. I urge you to check out that pod on rotoviz.com and to go follow Calm at Overtime Ireland. Special thanks to my colleague, Melissa Jacobs of thefootballgirl.com. Find her on Twitter at thefootballgirl and check out her podcast simply called The Football Girl Podcast. Actually, it's two podcasts Melissa does every week. She also does the Football Date Night Podcast, which she co-hosts along with her husband, Dave. Thank you to International Jet Set for the music. And of course, thank you, dear listener. Glad you took the time to stop by, and I hope you'll be here again next week when I'll be joined by another terrific guest. Farewell, my friends. We'll talk to you again next week. Shohei Otani hits, pitches, and trades crypto. He does it all on the platform that trades it all. FTX, the official crypto exchange of MLB. But you don't have to be a pro to trade like one. Just download the FTX app and you could be trading crypto, NFTs, and more in minutes. FTX, Shohei's in, are you?